Like I actually, it was a jacket of Lil Yachty. That was my first one uh, when he was big, right? And uh, he put out a tweet like, hey, fans, like send me stuff. And so I sent it to him. I sent him the jacket and for some reason I didn't put like any promotion about like my brand or anything in it. I don't know why I didn't even put a note or anything, but send it to him. And then my friend hit me up. He's like, Hey, have you seen Lil Yachty's Snapchat? And I'm like, Nope. He's like, check it out. And I look at it. He's dancing or whatever. And then there's just a picture of the jacket I sent him. And mm-hmm. so like, for me, I was like, man, I one should put my like hashtag or something, <laughs> my username on there too. Uh, but two, like, man, like someone like that is value, seeing value in my work and wants to share it. Like, I think I'm on to something. Welcome to Pinnacle Code, where we spotlight excellence in the culture. I'm your host, Ben Arthur, excited to be joined uh, by a homie of mine from call it my college days back at the University of Portland, Nate Devon. He is the founder of Devo Customs, where he uh, designs custom painted uh, jean jackets and does other garments uh, by request. Th- this is a really talented uh, individual, multimedia artist. Uh, a lot of his jackets have been worn by NFL players, NBA players, uh, a lot of their partners. Um, and, and I think he's just such an inspiration in that he is someone who's turned his creative and artistic pursuit into a business. And, and so I, I know he's going to have a lot of wisdom to share on this episode. Uh, but Nate, it, it's so good to see you, man. It's been uh, several years. How, how you been? I've been good, man. I've been good. Yeah. A blast from the past. I'm trying to, yeah. I just remember uh, hooping together back in college, man. I feel like those are the, the last memories I have with you. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I think um, we did, I want to say it was maybe 2018 or 2019. We were both helping out our uh, Matt Davis with exactly. some kind of photo shoot. Yeah, type yep. thing, and and I don't know if you remember, but actually we worked on the Beacon together, the, the student run uh, yep. news oh, outlet. Yeah. For, for those of you listening, I was a sports reporter, and, and he was the cartoonist uh, on staff, kind of the artist on staff. So it's, uh, but again, Nate, good good to see you, man. Thanks again uh, for doing this on this uh, what is it Thursday evening uh, at the around the start of the new year. So uh, let's kind of hop in, right? So I know you're from Minneapolis. Obviously, being a black, biracial, you know, mixed man, I'm I'm really curious. Like, what what do people maybe need to know about your upbringing in in a so in Minnesota uh, to uh, understand who who you are today? It's it's crazy. Like, uh, I love being from Minnesota, and I think pretty diverse, um, especially in, in in Minneapolis in the metro area, um, and so. You know, I, I grew up in, in Minneapolis and um, definitely was like exposed to, to diversity. Um, and so I, I think that that was awesome. I, I lived in Minnesota for 19 years. I was born in Rhode Island, um, moved oh, to Wisconsin actually from four to eight and then uh, Minnesota for like the longest stretch of time until until college. So that's kind of where I feel like I, I grew up the most. Um, and yeah, it's a great place. It was a great place to grow up. I think like the stigma about it, like now that I'm in Portland now and I tell people I'm from there is that like, it's just a bunch of white people. And like, I, which I like un- understand, like, especially if you've been to the airport or something, but what people don't realize is Minneapolis is actually like very diverse. Um, so there, you know, there's a lot of different diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, there, 
are a bunch of uh, the Hmong community uh, there. There's a bunch of the uh, Somalian community there. Um, I think there's just good outreach programs for whatever reason in, in, in Minneapolis. Um, and then, and then black people as well. And so, you know, it's, it's, I definitely what, you know, was exposed to a bunch of different cultures. Um, and you know, I, I, I love growing up there and it's a city that's super easy to get around. Um, you know, super like bikeable, um, except in the winter, uh, not, not yeah. at all, then, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's a good place. And like, I feel like, um, it just in general, even like out, outside of race, it kind of like helped me be a little more, it's like a blue collar state. It feels like, cause like, it's so cold in the winter. You have to get out. You have to like scrape your windshield off in the morning to, to get to school. And I think it just kind of added like some more character to me. Mm. Um, but I think like the, the upbringing that I had was, was really shaped like by, by my parents, um, you know, and I give a ton of credit to them and, you know, they put me in a situation that was, you know, at the time probably hard to navigate. Um, but now I'm super thankful for where my dad, black from DC, whole family black. And then my mom, small town, Indiana, whole family white, like literally just polar opposites. And so I think God just kind of was, was, was born into it. And, you know, I go to Christmas at my dad's side of the family. Uh, you know what I'm saying? The food was different, you know, people talk different, um, but it was still good energy. And then I'd go to my mom's side of the family. Food was different. People talked different, but it was still, you know, good energy. And I think like navigating those situations, um, you know, I, I, I felt I could, you know, be comfortable in, in both of those scenarios. And so that, that's a skill, you know, or that skill trait, whatever might have you that I think is super relevant for me today. And just being able to kind of, you know, be in different rooms and understand different points of view. Um, and so I, I think that was, that was like a big, big influence on me. And, um, you know, that, yeah, being in Minnesota, I saw, saw that as well, obviously, like, like I spoke to, it's a, it's a diverse, um, um, community in Minneapolis. So yeah, that answers your question. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And, and I think it's really interesting what you're saying and how like, it's kind of become, uh, you know, a huge plus for you in your life because you were kind of born in between two different cultures. And even though my experience is, is different just because I am black, like my, both my parents are, um, you know, from Ghana, um, in, you know, in, in West Africa, but I was born in a situation where like, I, I went to a school that was basically kind of pre predominantly white and and Asian but then I, I was going home uh to basically an African household uh but then also being black and not maybe necessarily ha having a different experience than other black people but then also just kind of my African side and then also being a black American but also growing up in a suburb where I was around people of other races I think that's kind of been um kind of, I don't want to say maybe a superpower, but I feel very comfortable in different areas or, you know, being around different people because of that. And, and right. so I, I really feel what you're saying there, Nate. And so, um, but kind of going back to kind of the, the diversity piece for you in, in terms of uh, growing up in Minneapolis, which as you, as you said, is kind of diverse. I, I'm wondering, uh, 
did you what examples of success did you see from people who looked like you specifically like you said your dad's black your, your mom's white like what did you see like other mixed biracial people like succeeding in avenues that you wanted to do was it just on tv did you see it in what you said was it diverse environment growing up there uh, what was that like yeah yeah, that's another good one because I, you know, I spoke about how it was diverse in the upbringing, but still there weren't many examples that I, I can honestly recall that I, as a kid looking up to outside of, you know, the, the entertainment and, and, and sports that I think everybody sees. Um, but I think the, the biggest one I did see and was most important was my dad as I talked to and like, mm -hmm. I'm sure he could have a whole podcast around his story, but in terms of, you know, growing up in a one bedroom apartment with his brother, uh, mom and, and dad, um, you know, commuting to a, a private school where he got an opportunity and just literally your like American dream work hard story, like I, all full of through. And so it, it's, it, I, I knew that and he's very particular about sharing that story. Um, and you know, I, I wasn't even really conscious of that, the story element of it, like as, as a kid growing up, but like, I just knew, like he knew what was going on. And so like, I was, I was listening to my dad and, you know, uh, it was funny. Like I was looking at colleges or whatever. He, he took me to, to Washington, um, to look at some colleges and we were on the bus and, you know, as another black dude, bus driver, we're just chopping all three of us. And at the end, like he, the bus driver pulls me aside and he goes, listen to that man, like, listen to whatever he says, like he, he will put you on the right path. And for some reason, like there's just weird times in life where like stuff just sticks with you. And so like, I, that was one that just stuck with me. Um, and so I think, yeah, while I didn't see like a ton of, I can't really recall a ton of different examples and just different areas uh, of black success, I guess, growing up, like that one was the most prominent and definitely the most important as I, as I reflect on it. And I've read, Nate, how you, um, you, you basically always had like a pen and, and paper in hand. You've uh, always been drawn to the arts. I, I guess you, you would draw like cartoons. Um, I, I heard on one podcast you did uh, that uh, you would, I guess you, you would draw for like your elementary school uh, classmates and, and whatnot. I guess what maybe always captivated you about the arts um and exploring that creative side of yourself yeah man it was i was talking about this with my mom the other day um because i'm i'm a father now i got i got two sons and you know uh someone asked me the other day like is is malcolm is, is your son into art and i was like yeah like he he likes it but then my mom was like, but like you loved it. Like you would not stop like drawing it. Like, so I like literally I would just be like excited to get home from something to go draw or like I'd be like in church, uh, like ripping like an envelope to make a piece of paper to like draw in, in church and everything. So I was just obsessed with it. Where did that come from? Is a, like just a really good question, man. Like, I, I'm not sure. I think it like part of it could have been just like, the cartoons and everything, you know, part of it, I think maybe I was blessed of just not, there weren't tablets then there were, you know, game systems were starting to kind of come alive, but you know, I, we didn't, I didn't have that. My parents were pretty strict about TV too. So some of it might've just been like mode of survival, something to do. 
and then I just really got carried away to it. Um, but man, I, yeah, I really wish I had a better answer of like why I was just so gravitating towards it, but I just, I loved it. And like, maybe just the reassurance from the outside that I was good at it. Maybe that like also kept me going too. Um, and just like I supportive parents that like encouraged it. Um, so I think maybe that contributed it to it too, but yeah, for some reason I, I was, I was obsessed. Yeah, no, that, that's cool. And, and it's totally fine that you maybe don't necessarily have a, a like what you say is like what, what you'd say is a, a great answer just because I think sometimes we're just maybe drawn to things. We, we maybe right. have a gift for something. And as you said, maybe there's that positive reinforcement um, in that as well. But, um, but, but Nate, like in your case, like you're not, you haven't only been like very artistic, but very athletic as well. Like you did track um, when we were in school at the University of Portland, you were um, the, the cartoonist, as I said, at, at the Beacon, our student-run news outlet at, uh, at Portland. Um, I, I guess growing up, uh, being both a creative and an athlete, what was that balance like in terms of maybe maximizing y yourself and maybe both those avenues? Because um, I did also hear you say on, on a podcast to where it, it wasn't necessarily like when we were growing up, it wasn't always cool to like be the, the artsy kid. And yeah. I can remember that too. Like the art kids were kind of like, oh, you don't want to maybe be like that. So, so what was that like for you having that balance, knowing that you maybe have a gift, you're drawn to it, but also you have these athletic pursuits as well. How did you maybe juggle both of those? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good one. And I definitely hit that, I don't know around what age, but where like, I thought art wasn't cool and I like fully dove into sports, but I think the sports two thing was also a like mode, mode of survival. Um, like, I feel like there was a point where I like switched in my head to like, try really hard in sports. Like, and I think it was third grade and that was the grade I moved to Minnesota and, you know, had at that age, you know, starting over, like no friends or anything like that. And so sport was kind of like that, that avenue for me to, to make friends. And, uh, I like, I turned the switch and was actually like doing, doing pretty well, like in soccer and then in basketball and then making friends along the way. Um, you know, I, I think I had like just some natural athlete gifts. My dad was also really good athlete. Um, he did track at Brown and then, um, mm. you know, football, uh, as well. So um that had some of that and i think again that positive positive reinforcement of just starting out um and so yeah i i, I think i found that i i liked it and i was good at it and kind of kept kept going with that too and then just art in the background a little bit um and then yeah like around like you know, probably eighth grade to early high school kind of like put the art to the side a little bit like that's or just downplayed it maybe um, but then like towards the end of the art school or end of high school, like being more comfortable with who I was, like ramped it back up. And so, um, yeah, the, the, there, there was always, I was always doing both. I mean, I definitely probably over indexed in, in sports and, and high school and, um, and everything like that, uh, you know, on different travel teams and whatnot. Um, but I would also always try to take art classes like in school and, um, I did an advanced art in, in high school. And so I think it was just like you know, keeping, keeping both going the, the best I could. Um, I don't know if there was really like a, a way I, I had like a real methodology to it, but just, yeah. just keeping them both going the best I could. 
And, and speaking of keeping both going, it feels like through Devo Customs, you are, I mean, sim simultaneously being able to keep both go both going because it's obviously a very artistic pursuit. But um, as I said in, in the beginning, you are able to create work for uh, like these athletes or, or their partners and, and you, you see your work on the sidelines or at CJ McCollum or, you know, Eric Kendricks or, or whoever it, it is. Um, just seeing those two finally be able to blend. Whereas, as you said, like it, it was maybe there was no methodology to it, but now it's at a point where both are kind of blending. I mean, what, what how fulfilled is that? maybe make you feel knowing that maybe these two things that you've constantly juggled throughout your life have kind of come together into Devo customs. Yeah, man, it's, it's crazy full circle. I mean, like, I think the, the way I do it, like, again, like we were trying to unpack, like why I was passionate about these two things, art and, and sport. And I just, I just was, but like, I think it just came as a culmination of me chasing my passions. Like, cause mm -hmm. I mean, Devo Customs from the jump wasn't what it is now, what it wasn't what it was even you know, two or three years ago, but like the fuel that kind of kept going was just my passion for the arts. Um, and then just kind of like understanding what was in, what was like in the sports scope of things and like always keeping my eye on sports and just like reaching out to, to people like that just kind of naturally came. And then like, once you do one for somebody in like Eric, yeah, it, I think that was my first kind of break in was, uh, Kendrick. So Ali, Ali Kendrick's now, um, she was look, one of my friends from high school saw on her story that she was looking for some artwork, some custom artwork to wear to a game. And she sent me that story. And then I replied, like, uh, I would love to. And then I think that was the first big one because then even I hadn't even finished the jacket yet. I was just sketching and she was already telling her friends about, Hey, I'm getting this, like, here's what the sketch looks like. And so that was kind of how it just kind of dispersed from there. And I think like, yeah, just, I don't know. I think it came all full circle just from chasing the passion. I feel like, so. How, how did Devo customs get started exactly? Like what was, I don't know if you, you always maybe had an inkling to do something of this or like a, of what you're doing now, but what was maybe kind of the, the birth you would say of, of what it is now, what it, what it's become. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So this one, you know, came from me just kind of going the, the traditional route. So I got an internship, uh, at Adidas after college, um, after, after my time there and, you know, internship, you know, you're still wide eyed, don't know exactly what you want to do in the real world yet. And I came across, um, people who were graphic designers and i was like well this is dope they get to draw all day and work for one of the best sports brands in the world so i'm like this is literally my two passions intersecting like at once i want to try to to get after this so from then on like I, I made it my mission to to try to get a job as a graphic designer or at least an internship or a shot and um you know kept trying networking kept getting turned down and, uh, it, it was, I was always getting turned down due to my lack of like technical skills. So I'm not good in Photoshop. I'm not good in illustrator. Um, like don't ask me anything about, about those, but I'm very good at just kind of like the analog painting. And okay. so the, the jackets really were born from like, you know, how, how can I express to somebody looking at my portfolio that I, I know how to, 
I know what's cool. I know how to design cool things, but I just don't have the technical skills yet. Um, and like, it would just take me a little bit to catch up there, but like I, I can convey it. And that's when I saw, um, you know, people that were painting on, on jackets and I was like, that's, that's a way I can do it. I can physically get what's in my mind onto a garment and, and show how I could be a graphic designer. And so trials and tribulations figured out the right formula, painted a jacket, um, and then hit up my friend. So C flow who went to college with us, yep. we went out drug him out to uh, cathedral park took some pictures of it and posted it on instagram and like started to try to build my portfolio well the photo did well on instagram and instead of you know people using it for my portfolio people were reaching out like hey can i buy one and that's when the whole thing kind of switched i was like you know maybe this is more about like me and and, and building building something off of this than just kind of building a portfolio to to land another job and so I just kept running with it and it started close as just family and, and friends in the beginning. And then, you know, kind of started to, to build and bubble up. People tell other people and, um, you know, social media, like a huge, huge piece of it. Like Instagram was, was big when I was starting. Um, and I think especially like the Instagram influencer rage was like right during when I was starting, like it was, it's funny. Like there used to be a time in Instagram where people would just follow people you know, that were like famous, like you'd just see, oh, wait, that's uh, like Kevin Garnett. I'm going to follow him. Like people aren't, people are a little st more stingy with their followers now, but back then they weren't. And so like, I recognized that kind of little, um, I don't know, arbitrage and, and, and tried to get with influencers that kind of helped grow. And then, um, you know, obviously did, did some, once you get, you know, one influencer or an athlete or a CJ McCollum, it can spread to more people. I think the other like kind of big boom and I'm going long winded on this, but, uh, it was TikTok and the, and the launch of that. And so, um, yeah, like 2020, obviously COVID, a lot of people indoors, a lot of people looking at screens and there was just not a ton of people as there is right now, like on the app at that time. So there was like more demand than supply. Like there just weren't a lot of people creating content. So like I was kind of, again, going back to like those social media, like arbitrages, like I, I found another place where there was like, like one of my entrepreneurs that I follow says underpriced attention, where there was just more attention there than, than other platforms. And so jumped on that. And so I think like a combination of, you know, chasing my passion, recognizing like social media, you know, trends and, and, and kind of like what's going on in culture. Um, and then just like building good connections, meaningful connections and, and, and doing good work. I think with that, it's just kind of helped the momentum continue to grow and grow. So yeah, that's my, that's my little story. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and so I want to go back to something you kind of said at the beginning of that, like was like when you had, had kind of first put like the, the jacket, like on Instagram and, and it was doing really well. And someone asked if they wanted to buy it. And that was kind of like the aha moment, like, yep. okay, maybe some, you know, this, there could be a business out of this. So um, I, I'm wondering, and I think this could be you know, really valuable for like other creatives who um, maybe kind of want to go along your path, but uh, like, when do you know uh, like when, like something like a creative pursuit or artistic thing that you have going on can be monetized 
versus mm-hmm. like when maybe you, you still need to develop and, and cultivate your skills? Does it have to maybe be that external validation in, in the case that you had of, okay, like there's value in that, or can it also be, um, a situation where someone just, you know, they're really good at painting and they just want to go for it and, and see, like, like, does that make sense? Like when does a creative, when, when does it, when should a creative know, like what, what's kind of the best path forward? Yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a, it's such a great one. Like, uh, and I think I was, I was lucky I fell into it a little bit. Although it's not like when people were asking for it and like right away I was making real money. Like I'm picking, like I'm, I was charging like 50 bucks at the time for, for stuff and it was all friends. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like to tell people just starting up, like don't expect to make money. I'd say start with passion, like make sure you're passionate about it and you'd be doing it even if you weren't making like a cent, like it's just something you'd be doing. You love it that much. And don't put pressure on yourself to make money in the first five years. Like it's great if you do, and and that does happen, but uh, like focus on being passionate about it, like building your brand. Um, And then when it comes to like, kind of like that, that conversion point, like I think when people are, are starting to ask for it and I think that it'll be pretty loud, like, I think that's when you can, you can start. And like, there's, there's no wrong answer. I think like, you can start whenever, but I think you, you won't see those, those returns until you've kind of built out a portfolio. Like, uh, I mean, like a real tangible example is like, I, I was talking to this guy who's doing, wants to start custom shoes and he's like, just, man, how do I start? And I would be like, you need, you need to like a portfolio of what you can do first. Like you haven't posted, no one knows you even do shoes. No one knows like what, what you're doing. So, you know, I would hit up 10 to 15 family members and say, Hey, you guys got shoes? Like, I'll pay them. And then at least you have like a Rolodex of people you've done, done them for, you know, people think that they might be even real clients, the outside looking in, you know, right. And so you've got to, and then those people, obviously who you've done them for your family members, they're telling people to, um, and so, yeah, I think it's like, try to build that portfolio first. Um, and then, and, and then like, wait, wait till people are asking and just take the pressure off of it. Like the, just, just focus on the passion. Um, and, but, but look for those validation points. Like, I think a huge validation point for me was, you know, the posting on it, people, uh, wanting to buy it. But then too, like, I actually, it was a jacket of Lil Yachty. That was my first one, uh, when he was big. Right. And, uh, he put out a tweet like, Hey, fans, like send me stuff. And so I sent it to him. I sent him the jacket. And for some reason I didn't put like any promotion about like my brand or anything in it. I don't know why I didn't even put a note or anything, but send it to him. And then my friend hit me up. He's like, Hey, have you seen Lil Yachty's Snapchat? And I'm like, no, he's like, check it out. And I look at it, he's dancing or whatever. And then there's just a picture of the jacket I sent him. And mm-hmm. so like, for me, I was like, man, I one should have put my like hashtag, <laughs> my username on there too. Uh, but two, like, man, like someone like that is value, seeing value in my work and wants to share it. Like, think I'm on to something. And so like, yeah. And again, that wasn't like directly monetary and that was still super early on, but like, it was just a validation point, like continue to chase it, keep going. And so keep your, keep your eyes out for that as well. That's what I would say. So Nate, kind of going off of that, right? Like that little Yachty experience. And, and I know you were able to get connected with CJ McCollum through, uh, what was it? The founder of Portland gear. Yeah. 
and uh like that relationship it started with portland gear and you did like a jacket for him mm-hmm. and then like a year later or whatever cj reached out uh I-, I guess through him right and saying like he hey nate like he wants uh, a jacket and that kind of started the relationship that way um but but kind of going off of all of that like what what is maybe the most valuable lesson you've learned about uh marketing your brand yourself mm-hmm. your product mm-hmm. uh just through your experiences like whether it's an influencer mm-hmm. picking up your work or an NFL NBA player rapper in in Lil Yachty's case like what what's maybe the most valuable piece of wisdom uh, about marketing that you've picked up in your you know years long per- pursuit with Devo Customs that you think um could could be of use to to uh you know a young creative maybe wanting to go along the same path as you yeah yeah man this there's been there's been so many um you know like I, I obviously it, the the passion fuels it but when it comes to to marketing i think early on it was right that kind of influencer marketing and like being okay with doing freemium right i was like i was do i did the portland gear one for free I, you know but i got the promotion with it just kind of like betting on myself in that in that sense um but like knowing that the influencer boom was kind of was kind of happening um and then like i think the the cool part about that story it wasn't like i did the portland gear jacket and then you know he's connected with cj and he just connected me right away there had been about a year and a half in between that in that year and a half like i was staying consistent like i was still creating cool stuff like elevating my stuff and so like i think that's that's something recently that i've like taken more pride on is just like continuing to to show up and be consistent um like even if i'm posting something that doesn't go viral which is like 99% of what i post anyways like I'm, I'm there and I'm consistent. And like, when people think about me and think about my brand, they know, like, I'm still like operating it because, you know, I think we've all seen people start stuff up and it comes and goes. And I think that's great. I think people should start stuff and stop stuff and, you know, all of that. But I think like you kind of build trust when you stay consistent with your work. So I think, I think that's one recently that's kind of rose to the top in terms of like, uh, like overarching wisdom. I think like getting real tactical a little bit, what I was talking about before when it comes to marketing is like understanding some of those social media trends. Like when TikTok was first come out, like I definitely, it wasn't like my content was elite. I just like, I got in early. Right. And like, that's kind of what it takes. Like, I still don't think I'm like an immaculate content creator. Um, but like, I'm looking for those areas and like one of those areas right now for, I mean, if people listening, like value is, is Facebook reels, believe it or not. Like, and I've been taking like stuff I'm making for other platforms and like repurposing it for Facebook reels because it's going through another thing where, you know, a lot of people left Facebook for TikTok, left Facebook for Instagram. So, but there's still a ton of people on Facebook. It's like still the biggest. Um, but like, since the creators left, like there's a gap in like the content, right? So again, back to that, like supply and demand model, like there's still a big user base there that is wanting content and there's less of it. So your stuff's going to get more seen. Yeah. So that that's like a super tactical one right now. And like kind of where I'm trying to like make my, like my next, my next growth opportunity. Um, YouTube shorts, I think is another, another big one. Um, that's, I think starting to plateau a little bit, but um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like working on sort of diversifying, like where I'm marketing, where I'm putting my content. Um, and then, you know, trying to do the influencer, uh, marketing as well. And just like, you know, the connections that I have done in the past, like see if I can, you know, get back on, on some of those. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's nonstop with, with the marketing, but I think, I think the overarching kind of like the consistency and, and passion behind it. Um, and then like tactically, like where I can get the most bang for my buck when it comes to like posting the content. What's the most difficult part about being like, because like being consistent can be really hard, yeah. right? Like doing it over a long period of time. And as you've indicated a number of times, like doing like a creative pursuit like this and, and creating a business out of it, you, you're really playing the long game. You said, uh, don't maybe expect to make money for, for five years. Like a lot of people that, that a lot of people can't do that, right. but, but you have, right. You've been, this is what your seventh year or yeah, something yeah. doing Evo customs. And so, um, what has enabled you to maybe stay consistent? Because obviously there is the passion fueling it, but not every day you're going to love. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. I, I imagine right. there are a lot of days where it, it's hard. So what has been the key for you uh, to staying consistent? Yeah, that's a great, another great one. Um, yeah, I think it, like the, the passions, the foundation, they like to your point, like it, it goes, you know, it ebbs and flows. Um, some stuff I'm trying to do more recently is like, you know, creating art for me, like kind of stuff to keep it fun and like, it's still content I can kind of market at the end of the day, but like I've been doing some like airbrush stuff that I think is really cool. And it's like unlocking a new kind of fun medium for me. And so I think it's just like, if it's, if you're staying consistent, but like it's getting dull, like try to spice it up a little bit. Like if, if it's the, you know, if it's whatever, if it's trying a new medium, if it's the way you film your content, if it's like, maybe now I'll bring guests in, maybe I will just do a solo, like, I think finding ways to kind of keep it fun, um, is, is super important. Um, and yeah, and I think back to the point about it being hard, like it's supposed to be hard. Like, I mean, I think, you know, one, one of 1% has a really, you know, successful, even six figure business, right? Like it's, it's, if, if it was easy, man, we'd all, everyone would be doing it. Right. Like, so it's, it's, I guess like understanding that it's, it's, it's going to be a grind. And so I think just locking in on that passion and just trying to keep it fun. And Nate, you, you kind of talked about it a, a little bit and in terms of like just your, your content approach and being on TikTok and taking advantage of Facebook reels and all that. And so, so I'm just wondering, like, just, just knowing like you, you, your, your main thing is like a, a physical product, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a custom painted jean jacket. And so knowing that we're in a world where there's like the rise of AI and in terms of like the digitization of our world, like it seems to like, I'm trying to say like, it's trying to like, it's getting more and more digital, oh, yeah. like, so to speak, like every, every year, like the, the rate of improvement of technology is improving exponentially. That's what I'm trying to say. Right. Uh, how has that evolved? Um, or, or transformed like how you've gone about your process from when you started seven years ago to now, like how have yeah. you adapted to that? That's a great, great question. Um, I think like a couple of things, like I still think like with the technology boom and everything, I think there's still going to be 
it's not going to be binary. It's not going to be like, it's all technology now. Like all that other shit goes. Like, I think there's still always going to be, you know, I mean, there's still people reading the newspaper, even though like that's all through digital and there's, you know, you could watch it on video. Like, I think it's always going to be a game of and rather than or. So I think like, mm. you know, I think it's great to continue to keep my eye on the ball of what's happening in the technology space and be ready. But like, know that, you know, it's not, I don't think it's ever going to just completely go away. I think it's just going to be an and and like maybe just an amplification. I think, um, and then where, where was I going with that? I think number two, yeah, in terms of how I'm thinking about it differently now, as opposed to when I started before is I'm trying to brand myself more as, um, and I like how you introduced me at the beginning, but, but just a multimedia artist. Um, cause I think when you can kind of brand yourself as like an artist, you can take that art and put it in different spaces that are relevant. Um, a like super famous artist, like cause, I don't know if you're familiar, you did like the Kanye West, like artwork. Um, okay. okay. Uh, no, sorry. That's not cause my bad. He did. The, anyways, the guy who does the Kanye West, like flowery, like artwork from like the graduation music video type stuff. Anyways, like he's, he's like an established artist. He's a brand, like, you know, what his art looks like. And so he can, he could, he could drop like a puzzle and people would go crazy for it because it's a cool, they know his style. Like he's a cool artist. Uh, he could drop, you know, an NFT and people would want to collect it because it's part of his like artist, like brand. And so. I'm trying to think of like what that is for me. And like, that's kind of been another evolution. I'm trying to take Devo Customs to where like, you know, and go like B2B where a hotel might be like, hey, oh, like love your style, Devo Customs, come in and do our wallpaper for, you know, our lobby or something like that. Like right now, I don't like necessarily have that type of brand established of like what the look and feel of, of, of what I do. I have a little bit, but like, that's kind of the next like thing for me. And I think that'll help as technology goes, like if you have a strong brand, like it can, it can go in those different places. Um, so like if the world becomes digital and we're putting goggles on and we're in, um, you know, VR, like if, if I make VR pieces, like still the brand is the, the thing that's, that's going to continue to, to engage people. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. And I, I know you've said like how your mission behind Devo Customs 2 is like to unlock the creativity of, of everyone. And so, um, and, and, and I know like in just like your process now with creating jean jackets for people, like it's very collaborative, right? Like you very much lean on their inspiration and what yep. they think creatively to, you know, to put that on the jacket but um just with with that core mission you have like why why is that like so important to you like why why is that the core mission like unlocking the creativity of of other people yeah well it, it's a good one because you know i i think like when you're chasing something like bigger than than yourself like i think like a, you can kind of just like augment like how you behave on a day-to-day -day basis and how you run your business like around that. And so that was something that I thought that was important in terms of like, of finding like, what is the, what is the mantra? What is like the purpose of Devo Customs? Just kind of introspectively. But like, in terms of like why it shows that purpose is I think it's, I think it's the story of, of me a little bit. Like, you know, I had always loved doing art, um, but like 
never really saw those routes of like how to apply it. Like I didn't even know there was Adidas graphic designers until I got into the door at, at Adidas and, and saw it. And so like, and then, you know, I, I still was, again, I got to the door, but I couldn't get fully in the door because I couldn't become a graphic designer. So I had to kind of go my, my own route. And so I don't, it's kind of the story, it's the story of me. And so I want to like almost be an example and, and, and tell people that story so they can feel like they can do the same thing. And like, if they're sitting on something creative or want to try something new, like, I hope my brand can kind of give people the permission to do that. Um, and mm -hmm. so like, you'll see that reflected in my content. Um, I do a lot of like how to's, um, sort of things and, um, you know, just always trying to try and inspire people to, to, you know, do it themselves and explore their own creativity. I've heard you say a couple of times, I think one at a, like a keynote at UP several years ago, and then also on a podcast I heard you did, uh, was like, at least at that time, like the end game was like a, a creative agency. And I don't know if you like imagine that as part of Devo Customs, but like, is that still like a, a goal for you? Uh, because I, I do feel like that is kind of tied to that mission, right? Of unlike unlocking the creativity of everyone. Is is that kind of the the vision with you know kind of regardless of where where the world is going, but um, but just with your brand being able to funnel it into like um, you know, an agency where you you have a space where people can really explore their creativity. Is that still sort of the, the end game for you? Yeah. I mean, first of all, dude, shout out to you, bro. You've been like so well researched. Not thinking any of that podcast. Man, I was like, man, that was like 2018, maybe 2019. I don't know. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. Um, yeah, I, I'd say that end game has changed. Um, you okay. know, I think me growing older and like I work in a corporate environment now, like managing people is, is definitely like a really, is really hard. Um, and, uh, something that like, I don't know, I, at least at this stage, like, I'm not sure if I would want to be like a CEO of an agency with kind of a bunch of different people. And like, it sounds like I don't, I felt like I wouldn't even really get my creative juices off because I'd kind of be like sort of orchestrating in that way. Um, but like, I think kind of the, the feeling though, I'm still trying to scale that feeling of like, how can I inspire the creativity in everybody? And like, I think the vessel is kind of going back to like branding myself as an artist, an artist where like, if you see my work, like you're inspired to do some of your own work, um, or, and then like even started to do offer like lessons or do workshops around, um, you know, uh, creating a custom jacket, uh, this year I'm, I'm actually. Uh, I got a meeting tomorrow to, to partner with, um, a, a local kind of like pop-up space, um, to talk about like potentially doing a, a workshop, um, it, where people oh. come in and, and customize their own jacket or just doing a showcase. So I'm, I'm stuff like that, I think is going to be, is going to be cool. And I think that's another avenue to the, again, just kind of scale like the mission of the brand. So yeah, I've kind of gone less like scale it like into a, a multi like agency, um, and more just kind of like, how can I just like do it myself or it be a, be a Daniel Arsham, um, you know, be a cause, but like when you see my art kind of scales the mission that, that way and inspires people. So. Okay. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting how you're saying that, how you've kind of learned how you you don't really maybe see yourself as kind of the, the managerial type at, at this point in your life. Um, and so, like, I guess along those lines, what is maybe the balance of, uh, because you are an, an entrepreneur, right? Like, you, you do have a day job at, at what, Nike, but mm-hmm. but you, you do have Devo Custom. So, like, what what is what is that balance of like uh your like creative artistic juices with entrepreneurship which can be very much i mean it doesn't necessarily have to be like managerial i mean that that's mm-hmm. if you have people under you but it it could it's it could be very regimented and and business like and artistry can be very much free flowing what is what is for you, what has been the dichotomy, like the balance of being those two things at the same time? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I think they actually kind of work, work together. Um, and they're not, I think they're not as different as, as people think. Um, like, you know, I, and I'm, I'm interested in business too, I think, which helps me because I, I was a marketing major at UP and a fine arts minor. Um, so I've always thought it was interesting, but like, I, I, think that entrepreneurs are artists like i think there's an art to take the stanley cup craze for example right now like brands been around forever and just more commonly associated with uh you know construction workers and kind of more like masculine colors some innovative entrepreneur thought like hey what if we just did like softer color palettes for these cups and just kind of release them that way? And then boom, look at them now. They're kind of like every people are crying over getting a Stanley at, at Christmas. So <laughs> for a brand that's been around. So it's like, like, I think there, it's funny that I think there is more of an art than people realize to like running a business and, and, um, you know, the, yeah, like the art of, of when I should go after this, like how to craft this message, like even like, how do I craft this message to tell this employee? of like, let's do this. Like, and it's funny, I, I do think there is kind of an art to it. So to answer, answer your question, I think like they're a little more intertwined than, than we think. And so it's, it's come pretty naturally to me of like, I'm definitely going to get off my art and I'll even do maybe even art on the side. But like, I'm also thinking about at the same time, like, am I filming this the right way where someone's engaged and they're scrolling through and they're stopping on this and they're looking at it? Or am I filming in a way that doesn't, you know what I mean? So like, yeah, I, I, I guess I'm blessed in that way to kind of have them both, both wheels turning at the same time. For sure. And I, I guess for you, Nate, I mean, you are like a family man, right? Like you, you have a wife, you have two kids, uh, you have Devo Customs and, and you have your day job at, at Nike. So how on earth do you, do you balance? How do you how do you balance all of that? And and what have you maybe learned about uh, time efficiency and prior to pr- prioritization in that process? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a good one, and like it's it's ever changing for sure. Um, I think for me is just like understanding and and. I've been doing this for for seven years now. So I, I kind of understand like the ebbs and flows of, of my business and kind of when I'm historically most busy and when, when I'm not. And so 
for instance, right now I'm not busy at all. Like I'm, I'm doing kind of exploratory things. Like I'm, I'm reaching out to certain people, but like, but however, fast forward or go back five months, like August football season starting up, um, you know, gift givings right around the corner. Like that is my most Q4, my most like active and busy time. And so I think just having like a constant communication with my partner, with my wife, I'm just like, Hey, this time, like I might scale up the art. Like I'm, I mean, I'm going to need, need time to work on this. Like I'll, I'll come home, we'll have dinner. Like I'll clean up the kitchen and stuff, but like probably at night I'm going to be working on this and just kind of having that, that conversation up front. And then like at a time right now, like we both understand like, Hey, I got a little, little more time. Like, you know, I, we can do more of the family things. Um, but like, it's, it's a, I think it's also like understanding it's never going to be a okay. Perfect. Like, you know, yeah. there's it, balance like does not exist. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm blessed also, I think to be like a male and not have like external pressures of like that are on women of like, if a woman was doing something that I do and people questioning, like, why aren't you with your kids or like, you know, why aren't you working more? Like whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, like it's just, I think recognizing that like the perfect balance doesn't exist, but just like communicating kind of when, when you might need to lean in from one or the other and listening too. like, I've also listened, like, you know, maybe I do, I need to lean into my corporate job right now. I need to lean into family more right now. I need to, and then yeah, I, I need to lead in the Devo custom. So it's a constant process, but I think like just communications at the core of it. For sure. As, as someone though, who, who does have a corporate job right now, and, and you do have this business Devo customs, um, on the side, like what because i think a lot of people there are several instances of maybe people who who do want to start like a side hustle or start building something but they maybe don't know how much time they should be dedicating on a daily or, or weekly basis to that passion as they work and you know do all their other uh commitments and so what can you say i mean it, you're, you're obviously kind of an artist, right? And everyone's maybe entrepreneurial side hustle journey is different, but what can you maybe say about the time commitment that is required to actually making like your side business, uh, a business <laughs> in working in conjunction with your other commitments? Yeah. Like it's funny like i think a lot of people like i think i think we all have more time than than we think it's just like how are we how are we spending it and how are we productive productive with it i mean it's you know i'm i'm not one to like push burnout or like hustle culture but i think like if you work hard at it like i think good things hard work is undefeated in that sense like if you're if you're working so i, I think for someone like i would i would say as much time as possible as you can put in. Now, what does that look like? Like if you absolutely need that hour and a half of Netflix, take that hour and a half. If you absolutely need that hour and a half with your family doing this, but understand what, what comes with that is like, you know, you might not progress as far or as fast as you want, which is, you know, that's a whole other thing. If how fast you need to get anywhere, like you, you can definitely take your time. Um, but like, it's, it's literally never been easier to start a business and work on a business. Like, 
because it's all in our phone. Like it's all, you know, I, sometimes if I can't sleep, like I might just get out my notes and just start like with creative ideas, thinking about it. Like, and mm -hmm. you know, I don't like, I, I mean, I started, you can start an LLC from your phone. Like there's, you know what I mean? Like I, it's like at the same time, like, like I know, like we're all busy, we all have stuff, but like, we also have way more time than people before us to like do certain things. Um, and I think it's just about allocating it the right way and, and the right way that works for you. Um, so yeah, you know, I think it's, yeah, I think you're going to get out of it with what you, what you put in, but I think just like un understanding that and like really auditing your time, like, did you need to, to do this? How passionate are you about it? I, and that's why like, I just continue to lean into passion. Like it's stuff I'd be doing anyways, you know? And so that's, that kind of gives me the mental fortitude of like, I'm okay that I haven't seen the next Netflix special. Like, I don't, I don't even know what's new now anymore. <laughs> like, I'm, because I've invested that into like, you know, my, my, my stuff and my passion. For sure. And winding down here, Nate, but, um, for maybe the young creatives that may be listening out there that, um, have aspirations of, um, kind of doing what you've done in, in terms of being able to build a business or monetizing, uh, that passion that they have, but they, uh, there may be roadblocks or like, like barriers or kind of detractors or whatever, which I know that you've faced in, in your own unique ways, um, but got through them. What would you give, uh, what advice would you give to those who are maybe in that world now uh, to get to the other side, to, to do what you're doing, to actually go in full time, what, what words of wisdom would you give to those folks? Man, um, they keep running into barriers. Like I, I would like, I don't know, I'm a broken record, but just, just leaning into that, that passion. And I think, you know, it's okay if you don't know what that passion is yet. Um, and I think like, that's, that's half the battle is finding out like what it is. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a million ways to, to, to find that out. But I think one, it, I think there's like a, the ones that come to my mind and that work for me is like thinking back when you were a kid before you're worried about what's cool and what your friends are doing. Like when you were a kid, super young, four, five, six, like, what were you into like organically that like you think are like going back in time? What, what was that? And like, I, I believe excuse me, there's an element in that for everybody of like, that might be your true passion. I think the other way is, um, and I think the one that works for me is I think a lot of us know our passion, but we're just kind of too scared to do anything about it. And Ooh, so, you know, I know, right. That's the one that hit me. I was like, man, I heard that in a speech and it just felt like they were talking exactly to me. And so that, that's where I've, I've, I've leaned into. And then I think the third one that's probably arguably the hardest is like, you got to try stuff. Like you might not even know your, what your passion is because you haven't tried it yet. Um, you know, like, I think the worst thing someone could do is just figure out what the hot trend is right now. If it's like crypto, I'm not trying to like bash, like, you know, trends that are going on right now, but I would just like, if you're going to start something around it, I would make sure you have like a real passion for, 
for what that what that is and you're not just kind of chasing it because you you think it might be cool it's not it's not yours like i don't know like even if it's like super nerdy or something like that like i think if you want to start something like there's people making real you know real businesses off like uh like lego videos that my kids watch like you know what i mean so i think there's right leaning into that passion and, and finding out what that is. Um, and like, yeah, the, the barriers are, are going to continue to, to come up. And, you know, I think there's, there's going to be like tough support. And I think like, you know, being, being black entrepreneurs, just navigating life as a black male in general, there's going to be stuff. And that's why I think like, if you can find those one or two or three voices that can kind of continue to push you and just keep going and, and remind you of like why you're doing it in the first place, I think that's, that's a huge thing. And like, I'm lucky enough to have it in my family and, you know, but like now with the internet, I think there's unlimited ways to kind of access that. If it's your favorite podcaster, if it's someone like you, if it's, you know, um, an influencer you follow. So I'd say lean into those voices. If you're running into those barriers. Good stuff, man. Where, where can people follow you on, on social media to kind of keep a tab on your journey and also to support and, and maybe request a piece from you uh, through Devo Customs. Appreciate that. Yeah, I am at Devo Customs on just about everything. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, X, uh, YouTube. Uh, so yeah, the D-E-V-O um, and then Customs. Um, and so yeah, like hit me up, even if you just want to chat or, you know, just want like advice or anything like that. Um, DMs are, are wide open. So happy to happy to chop it up. Awesome. Yeah, be sure, everyone, please be sure to tap in with, with my guy. All, all that information will be in the show notes. And uh, so very last question for you, Nate, what does Black success mean to you? Yeah, that's a great one. I, I think while I was reflecting on this, I think Black success is just like visibility. And it's kind of going like full circle back what we were talking about at the beginning, but like, I think when I think of like, like there was, you know, working in a, a corporate company, you know, you don't necessarily see black faces at the very top. And something that was just super inspiring to me is there was a, a corporate meeting where two people were given a huge presentation on, on the team. Um, and, and they were both black and like, you know, on the stage talking to, to people like that, that that's success to me like that. I was like, man, that is success. Like this is visible. I can see it. I can, if I can see it, I can do it. Um, and I think one quick story, I know we're trying to wrap up, but like, again, going back to my, my dad, um, you know, when everything was going on with, with, with George Floyd and everything like that. And I'm, I'm, I'm like Mr. Fixer, try to solution. Like, how should I, like, what should I say? How should I like, you know, and I was asking my dad, like, what are you doing? I'm, he's like, I'm, I'm doing what I do. Like I'm a college professor. That is my form of protest. Like not a lot of people have seen a black man at the front of the class like this, like me existing and, and being the odds in this is my form of protest. And I think like that, that again, going back to what sticks with you throughout, like that one was, was one that stuck with me. So that's what it is for me, man. Just being visible, um, and, and seeing people. And then, yeah, having visibility to other, other black people just doing, doing well for themselves. That's beautiful, man. Yeah, I appreciate um, all you guys for, for tapping in with, with another episode of uh, Pinnacle Code. Uh, please 
Be sure to like, share, uh, subscribe. Uh, you can find the show on uh, across social media platforms, uh, mostly on Instagram, but but I'm on X and uh, TikTok and and other platforms as well. Um, until next time, I'll see you guys soon. And and thank you so much, Nate Devon, for uh, coming on, bro. It, it's good to see you. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, peace out, guys. <laughs>